It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Katie Pavlich, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, December 27th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Two lawmakers had cops called to their houses by prank callers over Christmas in incidents called swatting. It's a growing crime, it can be deadly, and it's often very hard to find the person making the prank call. They'll take these numbers and using VoIP, online internet services, to be able to make these phone calls, you can't track the phone number as easily as you could with a cell phone or a hard line making it very difficult for law enforcement to find out who these people are. I'm Mike Emanuel. She's the youngest Republican woman ever elected to the U.S. Senate. And the mother of two tells us why she felt the need to create change in Washington. I think that we all have a different purpose. God has a different purpose for us, but we need every single person to stand up and to step into the arena. We speak with Alabama Senator Katie Britt. And I'm Greg Jarrett. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Imagine you walk towards your front door in the dark after hearing a noise that woke you up, and suddenly you're surrounded by law enforcement pointing guns at you, shouting commands. Now imagine this happens to you more than once, or to your extended family even. Some swatting targets will tell you that's happened to them when someone who has an issue with the intended target calls police to tell them the occupant just killed his family or harmed her children or is doing something violent. Police operator 543, how can I help you? That was a fake emergency call made to a restaurant in Lakeland, Florida. Police Department spokeswoman Robin Tillett told Fox 13 in Tampa Bay. It is definitely a huge waste of resources, whether it's a few minutes or a lot, a lot of time there. Um, it involves 911, it involves our officers responding to the scene, EMS, sometimes paramedics. Um, so all of those resources that could be being used for something else or tied up. These swatting incidents can also be deadly. A gamer swatted another gamer about five years ago during an argument and gave police in Wichita, Kansas, his address. It turned out to be his old address, and the cops responded and ended up killing 28-year-old Andrew Finch, who was not involved at all. In Minneapolis last year, calls were made about an active shooter at Washburn High School. St. Paul Public Schools Superintendent Dr. Joe Gothard told Fox 9 Minneapolis-St. Paul. We don't determine whether it's real or not when we get that call, so we went right into our safety operating procedures. On Christmas Day, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene was spotted, and so was fellow Republican Congressman Brandon Williams of New York. Williams said in a statement he was contacted by law enforcement before they arrived. Most of us, though, wouldn't be so lucky. And while swatting isn't new, it's become so much more frequent, the FBI has now begun tracking incidents. Although swatting's been around since there's been pay phones to make prank phone calls, it's grown in the number of swatting events because of the Internet to be able to hide who is calling and where you're calling from. John Yannarelli is a retired FBI special agent. The FBI has gotten involved because we want to have this information tracked and hopefully track down some of these individuals. Yeah, why is it so hard to catch swatters? Like they're not just using their own personal cell phones, right? Or it'd be easy to, 
you know, just re- reverse engineer that and, and find them. So, so how are they making these prank calls? Swatting basically is the next generation of cybercrime in many ways. You're not just making phone calls from a payphone of old days. Now you're using cellular technology and the internet. I go online, I can change my phone number, make it appear as if I'm coming from somewhere else, perhaps even your own home, so that police don't know who they're actually dealing with when they receive the call. Talk to me a little bit more about the technology, right? I'm reading that technology has made swatting so much more of an easy crime to get away with, that you can really disguise yourself. All the technology that we use today in normal business is also being used by criminals to perpetrate these types of crimes. You can create a phone number for business purposes, but swatters can create a phone number to appear as if there's someone else. They can mask their voice by using devices that change what they sound like. All of this swatters are relying on to try to fool dispatchers and the police to showing up at someone's home. But are they using like burner phones or is this like, like, are they using something on the internet to disguise their location? Are they using like VPN or, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, how are they able to avoid detection? Because you can disguise your voice, but if I know your number, if I know where you're calling from, then it doesn't really matter. This is your number. It's registered to you. So like, you know, how are they so good at hiding who they are? Is it, is it a burner phone? So swatters will go online and there are services, many of which are absolutely free, where you can generate a phone number with any area code and exchange that you want. They'll take these numbers and using VoIP, online internet services, to be able to make these phone calls, you can't track the phone number as easily as you could with a cell phone or a hard line making it very difficult for law enforcement to find out who these people are. Being voice over IP. What you say sounds familiar. It's like I can make a Google number for myself. I have friends who have like their number and then they've got their Google number, but that's also traceable back to them, right? That's different. When you're using a reliable service, say Google number, for example, there's an entity, a business that law enforcement can contact but there's a lot of other services out there, including on the dark web, where you can be non-existent in being able to be located. A lot of those services are hosted in foreign countries, none of whom U.S. law enforcement are going to have access to. The range of targets is pretty wide, like conservative commentators get swatted, conservative lawmakers, as we've noted, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Nicki Minaj was swatted. One of the more famous incidents was a gamer who was swatted by a fellow gamer, but he had the wrong address for him and ended up sending police to his target's old house and police ended up killing a 28-year-old man. It's happened at schools, Jewish synagogues and institutions. I know the in the Jewish synagogue and institution um, example, law enforcement is saying that that is from overseas. How many, how many do we suspect are actually overseas swatting incidents? These types of incidents are happening all over the world It doesn't matter who you are. If there's somebody that, for whatever reason, decides to target you and they have the technology, they understand how to do it, and the criminal mindset, it's a very simple crime to carry out. It's just like making a prank call from the old days, but swatting is far less innocent. As we just talked about, that seems to be very difficult, especially if these folks are overseas. But talk to me a little bit about how law enforcement could know 
right? They, they can't know, right? They, they, you get a call. Somebody says there's been a shooting. This guy's holding his wife hostage. The kids are involved at this address. Go. I mean, most police are not going to take the time to figure out, is this a swatting incident? Because if they did take the time and they could have saved a life or they could have intervened in time, that's not going to work out well for anybody. You almost like have to respond to these. Um, like, is there anything that, that can be done to help law enforcement figure out if this is prank? This has to be approached in two different ways. First, police have to be trained to understand that there's always the potential for a swatting incident. You don't approach everything as if it's an urgency, but of course you use good practices to stay safe. On the other hand, law enforcement needs to look at the technology and what can be done. The FBI has great capabilities of tracking information that technology needs to be expanded so that local agencies have the ability that when someone engages in swatting, they can be hunted down and brought to justice in the criminal system. But but it sounds like, John, there's no real obvious solution here, right? Like if you get a call, your police department has to respond. You obviously have to respond when you're law enforcement. You have to treat it as if it's real. But at the same time, knowing that this type of crime swatting exists, law enforcement officers have to recognize that there's the possibility and be able to respond accordingly when they're dealing with people. Has law enforcement been told that before, though, right? Like, obviously, if you're getting 20 phone calls about an active shooter, that's probably not a swatting incident, right? That's probably you know, the odds are that's a, a, something you should respond to. But if it's just a one-off, one person calling in an incident, you you still do have to respond, right, as we just, as we just mentioned. But are there circumstances in police training and law enforcement training where you were told, look, some of these things aren't going to be real? Regardless of, of swatting being a thing, have police been trained thus far, even before swatting became this huge, to be to have that level of caution, like you you don't know what you're stepping into. Absolutely. Cops are always trained to know that it may not be as it's first reported, but they have to be cautious when they're responding and assume that it's going to be real. It's easier to de-escalate it than to suddenly have to respond when you're in the middle of assuming something as bad as not has been reported. But The public also has to be aware of these dangers as well and know that police are going to respond what to do. It's a terrible situation that's been created by these criminals. And these criminals are the only people that are responsible for when things go bad. What you just said, the word escalate, um, it has escalated before. This is dangerous. How, How dangerous is this, John? It's certainly dangerous for the people who are being swatted. When police arrive, they don't know who the good guy is or who the bad guy. They have to treat every situation as if it can be dangerous. Likewise, it's dangerous for the general public. Just the police responding to an emergency, there's the possibility of a car accident, somebody innocent getting injured. And finally, Police can be injured as well. We had a situation of an officer responding with lights and sirens to a report of a gunman firing shots at a shopping mall, and that officer wound up getting into a car accident and losing his life, and yet there was no shooting at all. It was just somebody swatting by calling 911. 
Okay, John, you know, there's no federal law, right, against swatting per se, but there's like federal anti-hoaxing law. There's certainly laws against making threats. We know that. um, And interstate commerce threats. There are state laws against making false 911 calls. Um, I think that's at least at at state levels. But if, if one of these leads to death or injury of somebody, I assume that would require application of even a different law. Like, could you be charged with homicide or manslaughter um, or assault if your swatting call results in an injury? I, I guess, are more laws needed or the laws we have sufficient? There's a lot of laws on the books right now to go after swatters, making terroristic threats, false reports to the police, etc. But it would not hurt to have a general swatting law, giving law enforcement and federal authorities the ability to reach across state lines, get the required information they might need from internet or cellular service providers. That way they can get that, go after the people responsible. Again, you make a couple of these people responsible for what they've done, hold them accountable. Other swatters might be a little more reluctant to engage in this kind of criminal behavior. And one more finally for you, John, to anyone who's listening to us, what do you tell just the average person I'm, I, my understanding is it's don't don't share so much information online. Um, but is, is that it? How do people protect themselves? It's very difficult because you never know what person's going to see a comment online, respond to it in this kind of way. The vast majority of people on the internet are never going to do anything like this. But it only takes that one person. When and if it happens, you want to push to make sure that there's an investigation have law enforcement use the laws available to go after whoever committed this act and take the appropriate legal action, both criminally and civilly. John Yannarelli, FBI retired special agent. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. I'm Emily Campagno, host of the Fox True Crime Podcast. This year, I had the honor of launching the Fox True Crime Podcast. I was joined by so many incredible guests who lived the crime stories they shared. This week, I'm bringing you highlights from some of the most gripping ones of 2023. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. This is Greg Jarrett with your Fox News commentary coming up. This past fall, I spoke to one of the rising stars of the Republican Party, Alabama Senator Katie Britt, at the age of 40, the mother of two young children, is one of the youngest members in the U.S. Senate, but is already becoming an influential voice on Capitol Hill. Britt and I spoke just over a month into the war in the Middle East, and she discussed the need for Israel to get rid of Hamas. She also weighed in on the border crisis and her efforts to protect migrant children from being exploited. The two of us talked about her story and how her family and her faith motivated her to get into politics. So now we take you back to November 13th and my interview with Alabama Senator Katie Britt from the Fox News Rundown. Israel continues taking the fight to Hamas after the brutal October 7th attack. 
Presidential candidate Nikki Haley on Fox News Sunday talked about what's at stake here. This is not just an Israel issue. This is an American issue. 33 Americans were murdered. They have American hostages right now. Israel is the tip of the spear when it comes to terrorism. And we have to remember, Iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism. And when they say death to Israel, they say death to America. Retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel John Myers, who is running for Congress in Virginia, says Hamas has a dark vision. Do not forget that Hamas launched this with a political objective in mind, and that was to reclaim their victim status. They don't care if they lose civilians. They don't care if they even lose their fighters. Really what they're fighting for is the future of a Hamas ideology and that next generation of of fighters who will grow up to hate Israel. But some on the political left, including Brittany Ramos de Barros, a retired army captain, is calling for a ceasefire. The politicians who resist ceasefire in the name of security, know nothing about war. Because anyone who has any humanity left in them and has actually confronted the utter horror and absolute carnage of shockwaves rippling through their bodies knows how absurd it is to believe that security can be created through violence. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has ruled that out in this interview with ABC's David Muir last Monday. I think there's a, uh, the question of a, a ceasefire. The president himself has said that a ceasefire would be a surrender to Hamas. It would be a victory for Hamas, and he would no more have it than he would have uh, a ceasefire after the uh, al-Qaeda bombings of uh, the World Trade Center. And many Americans continue struggling to understand the cruelty of last month's massacre. My heart is is broken for what is happening there in the Middle East. Senator Katie Britt is an Alabama Republican. The events of October 7th um, were beyond comprehension. When I went to Israel and I was on the ground, we saw the footage, the GoPro footage the, of the terrorists that morning and the, the things that they did um, in taking and slaughtering innocent lives was something I didn't think human beings were capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about a ceasefire, you know, we look at what happened here in the U.S. A lot of people have said, what about Pearl Harbor? This is very similar to 9-11. And what I would say is it's the difference. While there are similarities, The difference is the enemy, Hamas, not the Palestinian people, Hamas, is literally next door. And they have said, as of as late as last week, saying we will come back again and again and again and recreate October 7th. So taking innocent lives from babies to to the elderly, um, to everything in between again and again until we eradicate the Jewish people and the state of Israel. And so there is no way um, that there can be any type of ceasefire until Hamas is gone. And when it comes to what Prime Minister Netanyahu said, of course, they must get back those innocent lives that are being held hostage by Hamas um, prior to a ceasefire. You and several Senate colleagues traveled to Israel in late October, giving you a firsthand look at what the aftermath of this horrendous attack has done. Can you share what you saw and how this has shaped your view of this horrific attack? Yeah, well, um, what I saw was really beyond comprehension, Mike. It was, as a mom, as a wife, as a daughter, a granddaughter, a sister, first when we met with the families of the hostages, you know, feeling their pain, um, listening to their stories. I mean, the, the most innocent among us, the babies, the 
the children, the toddlers that are being held captive by Hamas, being used as human shields, um, grandmothers who survived the Holocaust now going through this horrific event. You know, it just reminded me when we said enough is enough and when we said never again, um, when we said that as a nation, we have to truly mean never again. And then when we watched the footage from the GoPro cameras of, of these despicable terrorists, I mean, watching them shoot children, watching them burn parents alive in front of their children, watching them step on people's heads and cutting them off. I mean, it is the most barbaric, um, disgusting set of atrocities that anyone could ever imagine. And I believe people of all religions can exist in peace and prosperity. But what we cannot do is good cannot coexist with evil. And when we see evil, we must take it down. Hamas is not just the enemy of the people of Israel. They are the enemy of the people of Gaza. They are using them as human shields. They are stealing their aid and they are stealing their hopes and dreams. And we need to get Hamas out of there, both for the people of Israel and for the people of Gaza. I also want to hear your thoughts on securing our southern border during a Senate Appropriations Committee hearing this past week. You had the opportunity to put Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on the hot seat asking how he viewed the current state of the border crisis. What would you think of what he had to say there? Oh, my gosh. How much time do we have here? <laughs> um, Mike, in, in what world? Can the Secretary of Homeland Security not just call a crisis a crisis? We see this administration being able to call everything else crisis. We have a, they called, they said we have a, you know, a pedestrian safety crisis. We have this crisis. And I'm not diminishing any of these other things, but the fact that this administration will not call what is happening on our border. He came in March 29th. At that point, we had 6,610 encounters a day. I asked him if it was a crisis then in front of our subcommittee. And he said he refused to call it a crisis. Um, now, keep in mind, when he was the deputy secretary of Homeland Security, his boss, Secretary Jay Johnson, said if we have 1,000 encounters a day, that is a crisis. Well, now, uh, the week that I asked him last week on Monday, we had 8,500 encounters on that Monday, had him in front of us on Wednesday, eight and a half times more. Is this a crisis? He said no. He, I mean, he, he wouldn't absolutely not. And and the problem with that is, is like if you can't admit you have a problem, how in the world are you going to fix it? We must secure our border and we must have policy changes. We must take a look at the asylum standard, looking at that, put him back in, remain in Mexico, look at a safe third country policy when it comes to actual funding uh, to actually stop this crisis. And then when you look at what's happening in the interior, our ICE officers are doing the job of many. They need more support. They, we need more ICE officers with the six and a half million people that they are um, in charge of in the interior, that they are supposed to be tracking and, and all of those things. We only have 6,000 ICE officers. It's ridiculous. And if he wants to be serious about getting this under control, we have to have interior enforcement. We have to properly fund ICE. We have to properly fund detention beds. This is not rocket science. We know how to secure our border. We have done it before. It is time to do it again. All right, Senator, let's talk about your book. God Calls Us to Do Hard Things, Lessons from the Alabama Wiregrass. What inspired you to write this book that gives readers a really personal look at your story and how you've made it to where you are today? 
You know, so after the um, the runoff, we had a really pretty contentious primary, and I had some people approach me and say, hey, do you want to kind of write about this primary, write about this campaign, uh, you know, kind of a tell-all essentially, and I thought, oh, absolutely not. I'm <laughs> not interested. <laughs> uh, thanks, but no thanks. Um, then after the general election, I had a couple of people approach and say, look, you're going to be the youngest Republican female ever elected to the U.S. Senate. You'll be the only Republican female with school age kids in the United mm-hmm. States Senate. You know, would you would you write about all of the and I said, you know, thanks, uh, but no thanks. And and I also reminded them, I said, guys, I've got like 12 Twitter followers, just so you know, uh, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm related to half of them. Right. <laughs> um, so um, so I just said, you know, thanks, but no, thanks. Not interested. And then they came back at the end of January, beginning of February, and I had gone and spoken to Dunbar Magnet School. And one of the reasons I ran, you know, as a mom, um, my husband and I, you know, as, as parents looking to raise our kids, there's so much about our nation that we feel like cementing the values that make this nation so great. It's just critically important for the next generation. And I don't know that we are doing a good enough job of that. And, and so, you know, wanting to fight for, for those values and fight for the American dream for them, you know, that that was what drove us into running for the Senate. And so I had given a speech there, um, and that's one thing I, I do really enjoy doing is talking to young people. And what I do is I tell them all the things that I where I failed, <laughs> all the things that I did wrong, um, lessons that I learned, because I think in life we see people's peaks, right? And mm-hmm. if you don't see them, then Mike, just go check their Instagram. Instagram feed, because I assure you, you'll find them there. And, you know, I really believe it's the valleys where God uses those. If you're honest about how you got there, and this day and age, I think we choose to blame people about how we got to that low valley instead of taking a step back and realizing what we could have done differently, or if there was stuff that we did that 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 um, landed us in that spot. And so being honest about how you got there, and then also allowing God to work on you in that moment, in all moments, to show you His purpose. Because I think that we all have a different purpose. God has a different purpose for us, but we need every single person to stand up and to step into the arena. So this book um, is chock full of lessons learned for the next generation. So whether it's the young or the young at heart um, that are attempting to spark a new lease on life, um, just being able to talk about those, making sure people understand what makes this nation so great and, and you know, hard work and, and treating people with dignity and respect and, you know, taking responsibility for yourself and what you do. Um, I'm hopeful that somebody reads it and it gives them the desire to do more, to, to be more, to be better, because I think every generation is called to do hard things. And mm-hmm. so encouraging people to step up and stand back up when life knocks them down and get engaged and do hard things. That is ultimately what Americans do and ultimately what I believe we need to do um, in order to get this nation back on track. The youngest woman to ever serve in the Senate and the first woman from Alabama to do so. Two huge milestones. Senator Katie Britt, an inspiration. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great week. Thank you. I appreciate it. And...
In other news, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Could a so-called zombie deer disease take over human bodies? There's been a discovery of chronic wasting disease at Yellowstone National Park, and it's raising concerns the fatal brain disease may one day spread to humans. A deer carcass in the Wyoming area of the park tested positive for CWD. It's been found in deer, elk, and reindeer, and moose in parts of North America, Canada, Norway, and South Korea. Symptoms can take up to a year to develop, and some have dubbed it the zombie deer disease since it changes the host's brains and nervous systems, leaving the animals drooling, lethargic, emaciated, stumbling with a telltale blank stare, according to The Guardian. It's fatal with no known treatments or vaccines. No human cases have ever been reported, but epidemiologists say the absence of a spillover case does not mean it will not happen. With the hunting season underway, the CDC recommends hunters strongly consider having those animals tested before eating the meat. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. I'm Dana Perino. This week on Perino on Politics, throughout the year, we saw many candidates enter the 2024 presidential race, but only a few are left standing. Fox News digital politics reporter Brooke Singman provides a closer look into candidates' campaign strategies going into the election year. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Greg Jarrett. What's on your mind? I have decided that I will no longer be a candidate for president in the 2024 election. Most Democrats and the vast majority of voters overall hope that Joe Biden will utter those very words sometime before the party's national convention, which convenes in Chicago next August. It could happen. More importantly, it should happen. Polls show that Joe Biden is deeply unpopular. Beyond serious concerns about his advanced age and diminished mental acuity, his job performance on every major policy issue that Americans care about is a dismal report card of inept management or misjudgment. But there's another reason why President Biden is politically destitute. Many Americans have come to realize he is corrupt and dishonest. There's compelling evidence that Biden actively aided and abetted the illicit, if not illegal, schemes operated by his son that netted tens of millions of dollars from foreign interests while selling access and promises of influence when the elder Biden was vice president. Uncovered documents and testimony from witnesses implicate Joe Biden as a complicit actor in Hunter Biden's prodigious grift. Increasingly, voters see him as a dirty politician. Roughly 70% believe he acted either illegally or unethically. So don't be surprised if prominent party members and wealthy donors quietly commence a private campaign of lobbying Joe's family to convince him that his re-election bid is doomed. Behind closed doors, they'll cite descending poll numbers that reflect the nation's collective opinion that Joe Biden is too old and decrepit to serve another term and that he'll only drag down other Democrats with him on November 5th. There's a fair chance that Joe is still capable of reading the writing on the wall, or willing to capitulate to the wishes of his family and party elders. If he bows out, he will not cite his pervasive unpopularity as the real reason, nor will he acknowledge any wrongdoing in the corruption scandal 
that has consumed his presidency. Instead, he will embrace the mantle of victimhood by blaming those evil MAGA Republicans for engineering the criminal prosecutions of Hunter, demonizing the son he remains proud of and citing general concerns over the welfare of his family for his decision to abandon re-election. Beyond staving off potential impeachment, withdrawal offers another advantage for the beleaguered president. Dropping out incentivizes Joe Biden to pardon his son of all federal charges, while doing so before the election would risk extreme political fallout for his party, Joe could simply wait until the contest is decided, but before he departs office. One thing is certain, if the president quits the race, there will be no mea culpa or honest accountability. It'll be more of the same blame game deceit that is a hallmark of the Joe Biden era. I'm Greg Jarrett for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.